It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. All right, what's going on? Welcome to the show. ThePeteCallenderShow.com is the website. Join the Facebook group, which is at Facebook, ironically enough. And uh, also think about becoming a supporter of the program via Patreon. I'd uh, appreciate that as well, like uh, Beth has done. And um, let's see here. I'm going down the list. Daniel has done and Meredith and NC38. I don't know if that's their uh, birth name. Uh, Pamela as well. I appreciate the support. And Trent and Jocelyn, and John, and James, thank you all very much. I appreciate it, everybody uh, who helps make the show possible. Like, sincerely, the show doesn't happen without you guys. Um, There was a study I came across uh, at the Yale Tobin Center for Economic Policy, and the the headline or the name of the study, Investment and Federal Leadership to Open the Economy and Prevent a Second or Third Wave of the Pandemic. This was from a couple of weeks ago, um, April 15th, actually. And I kind of get the idea that this this helped to lay the path for our response, Governor Cooper's response. And you'll see why. I've I've actually had this uh, in my stack of stuff, uh, COVID-related stuff, since April 15th. And I was just going back through, as I do when I get, like, the stack gets... It gets thicker and thicker, and then you got to go back and like weed out, reread stuff. Some stories sort of expire because now they're no longer as relevant, as newsworthy, as current, and so you just toss them. And um, I don't know. I I don't know if that's the if this is an effective system or not. It's just always worked for me <laughs> that I just I print stuff out. I know trees hate me. I I print the stuff out. I mark them all up. I highlight stuff, and uh, then I stack them in an order for the show. And when I start doing the show, I just kind of go through. And if I don't get to it, then it goes into tomorrow's stack and the stack just gets bigger and bigger. And then eventually you throw a bunch of the stuff away because you never have time to get to it all. So, um, yes, I know I should really, I should really just take the stuff at the end of the week. Uh, maybe this is what I'll start doing is take the stuff at the end of the week and do a subscribers only podcast with all of that stuff in it. Um, so yeah, maybe I'll just do that. But this was from a couple of weeks ago. And uh, by the way, if it's been a couple of weeks since you've considered buying a mattress, then consider it again right now. Do it right now. Think about it. Picture yourself, visualize yourself on a brand new mattress. You're probably already asleep. If not from the content of this program, then uh, from the thinking of the mattress that you can get from Mattress Man. Mattressmanstores.com is the website. Go on over there. They've got all of their inventory in stock online, so it's all there. You can see it all. At Mattress Man, they've got inner spring mattresses, so if that's what you prefer, uh, pillow top mattresses, natural latex mattresses. Um, my wife and I, we have the memory foam mattress. And by the way, people sleep differently, like different positions and stuff. And so that is going to necessitate different types of mattresses for you. Mattress man knows this. They're sleep consultants. They know this. And uh, they know that people are staying home and uh, you're spending a lot more time, you know, surfing the web. And so head on over to mattressmanstores.com. Go to the website, mattressmanstores.com and, and peruse the inventory. And if you find something that strikes your fancy, do people say that anymore? It strikes your fancy. If you if you find a mattress that you like, um, 
you can get free local white glove delivery and 20% off if you use the discount code RESTWELL. All one word. It's all one word. RESTWELL. R-E-S-T-W-E-L-L. RESTWELL. Get an additional 20% savings by using that code at mattressmanstores.com. They do ship nationwide, and of course, they have the 120-day comfort guarantee. Uh, Mattress Man, experience the difference. Buy local, sleep better. So this study from Yale Tobin Center for Economic Policy says that the United States faces an extremely challenging 12 to 18 months ahead. That is before a vaccine can be developed. That's what everybody is thinking uh, it's going to take. Now, I read also yesterday, I was reading through this virologist guy who was on Twitter and he was talking about why there is no vaccine for the flu. And uh, there are, um, and I, I'm not a virologist, obviously, but um, the stuff he was describing, it essentially it comes down to it's not economical for uh, for researchers and labs and stuff to crank out as many uh, vaccines as would be required because they're only a certain amount uh, effective, a certain percentage, you know, effective. Uh, there's a limit to that, and they're constantly changing, and there are different strains of it, and most people aren't going to get, you know, a battery of uh, uh, vaccines or flu shots, you know. I mean, look, we have flu shots now, and how many people get the flu shot every year, right? Which is also interesting to me that so many people are thinking that, you know, we'll just come up with a vaccine. And, like, really, do you, do you think we're going to get better and maybe we will get better uh, uh, response rates for the vaccine for COVID-19 versus the flu every year. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I get a flu shot every year. I do. I get a flu shot every year. And, I mean, generally they're free. I can go in someplace and get a free flu shot. So, yeah, go ahead. Inject me with that dead flu. I'll take it. Um, well, because I can. And I know there are others who can't. There are people who have suppressed immune systems and stuff, and they're battling chemo or whatever, and they can't. And so... You know, I try to do my part. I'm a giver. What can I say? This is what I do. Okay, so um, the U.S. is going to be in this position now for about a year, maybe two, maybe longer, where we don't have a vaccine developed. And the central challenge of this moment, they say, is to plan for, fund, and execute a safe reopening of economic and social life before a vaccine is released, right? Everything has to be viewed uh, with this uh, assumption that there is no vaccine. Okay, so this is a paper by Stephen Berry and Zach Cooper out of Yale University. There is a strong consensus among mainstream economists that the first rule of pandemic economics is to fight the cause of our economic problems, and that is the COVID-19 virus itself. In our opinion, we should be willing to spend hundreds of billions of dollars directly to fight the virus. This funding should be allocated towards vastly expanding testing, contact tracing, and the production of medical equipment and the developments of vaccines and treatments. Does this sound familiar? Of course it does. This is everybody's plan, right? The three T's, as Governor Cooper called it. The three T's, uh, testing, tracing, and trends. The three T's. Um by the way, did you know they uh, they in their paper they go on, they talk about scaling and reopening the economy and such. But one of the things I found most interesting in here was that it said most deaths from the 1918 flu. I know you're thinking, what, what is the 1918 flu? Well, that's the uh, it's now what we call the Spanish flu because the Spanish flu has now been determined to be racist. Although actually, the Spanish flu 
wasn't really racist. It was that the Wuhan flu was deemed racist because the Chinese communist government wanted us to stop associating uh, their failure with the virus. And so then they leaned on the World Health Organization and the media, who obviously complied uh, and uh, rewrote all of the uh, the nomenclature for all of the flus. So we couldn't call it the Wuhan flu because that's racist. So therefore, we had to change the name of the Spanish flu, uh, which everybody has known as the Spanish flu for the last 100 years. But now that's just called the 1918 flu. Okay, which actually went around the world three times over the course of like two years or so. Anyway, that flu, the most amount of deaths from that flu 100 years ago came during the second wave. And so this is what politicians are. There is this sort of uh, inherently baked into the cake kind of uh, incentive for politicians not to reopen. Because if you try to start reopening things and allow people to move around and start loosening restrictions, this second wave is the, the spike that's going to come in the fall. Everybody's talking about that second spike that is going to cause more people to die. And the politicians do not want to get uh, nailed in political campaigns because what's in November, right? 2020 election. They're not going to want to get nailed with the body count. Right. That, and so so there's this incentive to play it safe for the short term and playing it safe means keeping everything as locked down as possible, trying to keep those uh, the death toll low. And you could say like, well, of course, Pete, that's uh, obviously you want the death toll to be low. What do you want people to die? Right. And that's the that's the black and white infantile way of looking at this issue. It is a very complex and, uh, you know, uh, uh, issue that's fraught with ethical dilemmas. For real, this is a very difficult uh, question to, you know, you start assessing risks and benefits. And what you're talking about is how many people are going to die. And it's not about, as I've said from the beginning, this is not about money versus lives. It's lives versus lives. There are people that are dying at home right now because they're not getting care because they're afraid to go to hospitals. You know, and if hospitals start closing because nobody's going to them, they're losing a billion dollars a month in this state, then uh, more people will die from that. You have deaths of despair. That also has to be factored in. So there, there's a lot of nuance to this, uh, to this argument, to this issue, to the debate. And so beware of anybody that comes along and tries to frame this as a black or white, either or false dichotomy argument for you in any of your discussions. All right. Um, the plans for reopening the economy, this Yale paper says, necessitate substantial increases in the production of uh, the protective equipment as well as testing, the discovery and deployment of treatments that mitigate symptom severity, and robust track and trace infrastructures. This will require vastly more direct federal funding and coordination. Relaxing social distancing and reopening the economy will require a massive increase in testing, they say. Depending on the plans adopted, track and trace plans will necessitate between 60 million and 220 million tests over the next 18 months. Right, that's both uh, both kinds of tests: the blood tests uh, to see if you you have the antibodies, uh, as well as the swabby thing to see if you've you know got it right now, an infection right now. So there's a number for you nationally: six between 60 and 220 million 
tests will be needed over the next 18 months. The more test-centric plans are going to require billions with a B of tests, billions of tests. This amounts to hundreds of thousands or more likely millions of tests being performed every day. And we are uh, well below that amount. So when Governor Roy Cooper talks about the need to expand our testing in the state, I suspect this is part of their thinking. This was part of their equation. It came out of Yale a couple weeks ago. Um, But they're not telling us how many numbers we need, how many tests we need. They're not giving us that data. This is one of the the biggest knocks that even even the editorial boards of the observers are um, uh, are, are skeptical of the way the governor uh, and are, I don't want to say critical because they're really not critical. They're just like, man, we really wish you would be more transparent. You know, even they recognize that this governor who sent all of like, what, 16 emails in 20 years in public service, even they recognize that Cooper uh, is not, his administration is not being forthcoming with the data. And the problem is, is that when you ask people to give up all of these liberties, and you are asking people to give up liberties, you're asking them to do these things, self-isolate and uh, stay at home and restrict themselves and get laid off and go on the public dole and do all of these things, right? To completely change the entire nature of society, human beings will put up with that for only so long. And the law, if you want to extend... um, the the longevity, the length of the time that they put up with this, you're going to have to give them sufficiently explainable reasons. And you're not. They're not at this point. They're not giving the data. They're treating us like children. Like, all you need to know, well, we have the, fa- we have the three phases. We've got three phases. It's a three-phase plan. Have I told you about the phases? There are three of them. Phase one, we're going to modify the stay-at-home order. And we'll let a, more retailers open and... The gatherings will still be capped at 10, and maybe we can reopen some parks, and we're going to recommend that you wear the face masks still. That's phase one. Don't know how long it's going to last. Two to three weeks, maybe. Not sure. We could go backwards. By the way, we're not even in phase one. Right? We're not even in phase one. This is the reopen plan, which we're not going to get to until May 8th, so like a week and a half away from now. Phase one, if we're lucky, we'll start. In a week and a half. Phase two then would start, what, two to three weeks after that, depending on how phase one goes. And then we could lift the stay-at-home order and limited uh, openings of restaurants and bars and churches and increased amount of people at the gatherings going from the, uh, you know, lifting the cap from 10, maybe go to 12, uh, you know, just test it out a little bit, see how it goes. Um, No, I'm kidding. It'd probably go to, I would suspect it would go to like 25, 50, some other arbitrary number. Then Four to six weeks in phase two. We would be in four to six weeks, phase two. And then phase three, increase capacity at the restaurants and the bars and the churches, increase the number of people at the mass gatherings, and lessen the restrictions for vulnerable people. And they make a point to say that if the, if things trend in the wrong direction, we might have to go backwards. Do you think people are going to be okay with that come fall? When the number of cases goes up again, which it likely will because... There is no vaccine, and it is highly, highly contagious. So, yeah, of course the numbers are going to go back up. And when they go back up, does that mean we get to roll it all back? Everybody's going to be sheltering in place, staying at home again for another, what, nine weeks? 
So yesterday, the uh, governor did another one of his press briefings, and Brian Murphy from the News and Observer and Charlotte Observer, they just need to, they just need to, uh, they just need to combine this paper. They really do. The the Raleigh News and Observer with the Charlotte Observer, and it just needs to be called the North Carolina Observer. Seriously, like at this point, guys, it's like you're, it's just a mouthful is all. It's, I just want, it's just a mouthful. Just for marketing cleanliness, you know? And, hey, uh, suits, keep in mind, if you consolidate with, you know, for the branding perspective, then you could probably fire a whole bunch of more people. And I know you guys like doing that. Anyway, Brian Murphy from the News and Observer and Charlotte Observer uh, started off the Q&A with the governor with a very specific question, which, if you listen very closely, the governor does not answer. Among the criteria for reopening... um is expanding the testing or the number of tests that are being performed in North Carolina. Can you explain what the current bottleneck or roadblock to getting more testing done in North Carolina is? Is it PPE or sample collection, test kits, reagents, uh, the number of people requesting the test? What, what is stopping us from getting to that number? And then secondly, you had mentioned uh, talking with NASCAR last week and the teams. Have you made any decisions about the Coca-Cola 600? Okay, so... Question's very specific, right? What is preventing us from getting more testing? You say we need more testing. We keep asking you, how many are we doing? How many do we need to do per day? What are the numbers? You haven't really given us those numbers. So what's what's the holdup? What's the bottleneck? What's stopping us from getting to the number you want us to get to, this more number, whatever that is? Pretty specific. Then there's the question about NASCAR, Coca-Cola 600 for Memorial Day. Are we going to run that or not? Um which do you think is the answer that has more specificity that the governor provides? <laughs> well, let's take a listen. As to the first question, uh, we believe that we're going to reach our goal and the number of tests that we need for the indicators. Uh, we're getting more and more testing capability every day. We're getting more and more personal protective equipment, uh, getting more testing capacity with our private labs. Uh, yesterday, I was on a conference call with the governors and the president, and federal government is going to help us some with testing. I think we realized about a month ago that the states were going to be responsible for getting us where we needed to get, and we realized that and have been working on it uh, since that time. We'll take as much federal help as we can possibly get uh, we want to to get our testing up to the point where we can go in and test at uh, job sites where an employee is tested positive to go in and test everybody. We want to be able to go in and test everybody at a nursing home when there's a, a outbreak there. And we want to increase the testing all around. It's one of the reasons <laughs> why we have put up a testing surge group. And why we've also uh, set up this collaboration in order to uh, increase the tracing, because the testing is important, but we also want to trace people and find out whether they've been in contact with someone who's tested positive to be able to protect people further and allow us to ease restrictions. Secretary Cohen, would you want to answer anything? All right. And she declines. She, I don't think she answers it. She doesn't provide any other uh, details here. So did you get the answer? So the specific question, what's the current bottleneck or roadblock to getting more testing done? And his, his answer is, we believe we'll hit our goal. 
doesn't tell us what the goal is, but he thinks we're going to hit it. We're pretty confident we're going to hit this goal, and we're getting more testing capability every day, and the feds are going to help us some, but we're responsible for ourselves for some reason. Oh, my gosh, in this Federalist society, we are uh, responsible for our own testing, uh, so the feds aren't going to help us, but we totally welcome any of that federal help, and Donald Trump stinks, and we want to get more testing so we can test at outbreak sites, and uh, we want to increase the testing, and that's why we're t- uh, setting up that testing surge group. Um, so we could do more testing because we want more testing and there needs to be some more testing, which we're totally going to hit our goal on the more testing because without more testing, we can't get to where we need to be so we can reopen with all of the testing, you see. What did he not say? The answer. What is the current bottleneck? What's the issue? What's going on? Why can't you get, are there hurdles for you getting the tests? If so, what are they? He does not answer the question. God, it must be nice to be a Democrat, that you get to get away with this, that you can take a question and then not answer it like that, and nobody cares in the press corps. Nobody cares that you're not answering these questions. Every single day he's doing press conferences, and they start asking him these specific questions. He has no answers for them. And I have been reluctant to, uh, to, to you know, really unload here on the governor because i understand this is very difficult i understand and i'm not second guessing his decisions i'm critiquing his management now this is about management and i kind of get the feeling that this is not his strong suit right and there is some prior experience with this governor that would lead us to believe that managing these types of things is not in his wheelhouse. They're just not. Politics, in his wheelhouse. Demagoguery, wheelhouse. Managing a crisis, not so much. Despite the 17,842 communication staffers that he employs. Um, Then, the second part of the question, what's up with the Coca-Cola 600? Hmm, Maybe we'll get some specificity on this one. On the second part, I have had conversations with NASCAR officials and officials at the Charlotte Motor Speedway, and uh, they have submitted plans that involve social distancing. Our public health officials, Secretary Cohen and uh, State Health Director Betsy Tilson, have uh, looked at them and made some suggestions, but uh, will approve those. And we believe that unless health conditions go down, that we can have the Coca-Cola 600 uh, on Memorial Day weekend in Charlotte. I think that we're in Concord is where it would be. I think that NASCAR will be making that announcement, but we believe that's what will happen. So you heard it here first, folks. A little bit of news giving you a scoop that he thinks they can do it at at the uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway, conveniently located in Concord. <laughs> I've never understood that. <laughs> I never understood. Like, how did Concord get rooked out of that deal? Right? <laughs> I mean, because Concord would probably be very much like Charlotte right now, had they just been able to call it Concord Motor Speedway. <clears throat> I'm sure. So on the NASCAR question, oh, he's got specifics. Oh, yeah, he decisive. Yeah, it looks like we're going to be able to do it. And we've been looking at some plans and some people and they've been planning and looking at plans. And I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. So on the NASCAR, we get some specificity. 
But on what's holding up the testing, eh, not so much. Travis Fain from WRAL, he had a question about the modeling that's being used. By the way, if you have questions about how to be prepared for various emergencies and disasters and uh, Armageddons and such, um, and you want to know if you're prepared, oldgrouch.com, Old Grouch's military surplus, oldgrouch.com. Here's a, a number I'm going to give you. It's a, it's a cell phone number, basically. What's well, a text line for the owner of Old Grouch. His name is Tim. And if you send him a text, he can uh, offer you advice and uh, information on products and items that are available on his website. You can make an order. You can get uh, uh, information about uh, uh, various things on the site. And also, if you're like, hey, what's the deal? Should I get rice and beans or should I get MREs? Right. Five, six, five, twenty four, ninety seven. By the way, I think he would answer rice and beans. 565-2497. That's the uh, uh, the text line. 565-2497. It's just for us. Uh, he gave me that number to give to you. Uh, so, you know, audience members here can uh, text directly to him, get some information. By the way, EMS, law enforcement professionals, if you are looking for uniforms, because you got to wash them and change them out more often now because of the COVID, uh, send him a text. He can, uh, he can get you lined up with some uniforms. He does that for you too. 565-2497, oldgrouch.com. So Travis Fain, W-R-A-L says, um, hey, what's up with the modeling? And he's going to mention that you're going to hear a name. It's called Novisai, which was, remember a couple of weeks ago, there was this uh, modeling report that was issued. It was early April, and it showed that uh, they had different predictions based on whether we lift the restrictions or leave them in place for another month. Remember that? They did this like, okay, maintain or lift. And then they did this comparison, and then they had probabilities um, that, uh, you know, what is the probability that we're going to run out of bed space in ICUs and acute care beds, like under each of these scenarios, lift and maintain, right? That report from Novisai uh, was used to promote and defend, basically, the stay-at-home order running through the end of the month. This was one of the data points that was cited by government officials and media when they said, uh, hey, we need to have this order this this uh, order extend all the way through the end of the month because if we lift versus maintain, we shouldn't do the lift because if you lift, we're going to run out of beds and then people are going to die and all of that. So here is Travis Fain at the press conference. I wondered, the modeling that Novisai and some other entities put out uh, through the state a few weeks ago. Has that been updated? And if so, uh, when will we see that new modeling uh, and, and what exactly will it be based on? Uh, one of the things uh, about modeling uh, that I think is important is that we can affect what the modeling shows by uh, obeying these restrictions and social distancing and staying home. Well, so, wait, 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 wait. The modeling was lift versus maintain. Lift versus maintain. That's what that modeling was about. Those were the options. Do you continue the stay-at-home order or do you lift the stay-at-home order? There isn't a world where the modeling would change based on people staying at home or not staying at home, right? Because those were the only things that they looked at. They said, here's here's what happens if you continue the course. Here's what happens if you don't. There isn't like some third option here, as far as I can tell. I understand the general idea, the general concept that the governor is talking about here, that 
modeling changes based on new data that gets put into it. Absolutely. But the model that you were talking about and that was cited four weeks ago, that model was only about lift or maintain. And so now that we've been maintaining, do we update the model and are the probabilities still the same? Is there any update? Because like maybe that model was wrong or maybe it was right. What's the update? That's what the question is. And now he's talking just about in general modeling. I don't know why. Unless, of course, he doesn't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't want to make assumptions here about intent or motives or base of knowledge. Here. That's an important part of showing us what's coming. Another important thing is that the indicators that we have put forth, I think, are, are very specific. And those are real numbers on a day-to-day -day basis, like numbers of cases, like percentage of positive cases, like hospitalizations, like pre-COVID symptoms. Those kinds of things are solid numbers that we are looking at, and those are the things we're looking at regarding making decisions about going into next phases. But I'll let uh, Dr. Cohen address that as well. So this is interesting now, I thought. Uh, he says, you know what, yeah, we use the modeling at the beginning, and you know, models always change based on new data. Now we're using real data, real numbers, solid numbers. We're looking at all of this stuff, and so um, now we're going to have ostensibly better projections, predictions, better models, because we got better data, and we're using this data to make these decisions because it's real data. We don't even need some of these models. And um, it's interesting because they're not telling us what all the data is. Even, for example, like the hospitalization numbers, they're telling us, like, here are the hospitalizations uh, right now. Well, what are the total hospitalizations? What have been the total number of diagnosed cases, numbers of recovered patients, like all of the data. What is all of the data? Why can't we see all of this data? Like there had to be a lawsuit threatened by uh, like 20 news operations in order to get the state to release some of this data the other day. And even then, it's just like four data points. And one of them is number of counties where there are cases, which I don't even care. I don't. It's one of the numbers I never care. Like 95 counties. I don't care how many counties there are. It doesn't matter to me. I want to know how many people, right? Because county, and you're going to hear Governor Cooper say this, the virus doesn't respect county lines. But then why do we care how many counties are affected, right? It's just, I mean, it's an interesting data point, but it doesn't help us in sort of uh, uh, understanding the, the nature of the virus and how it affects people and what is the, again, the costs and benefits and the risks associated with various policy prescriptions. All right, here is Secretary of uh, Health and Human Services, Mandy Cohen, who is, uh, by the way, she also went off on a tear about expanding Medicaid, which, as I understand, it was her former employer, so she's a bit of a political animal, I've been told, uh, and it kind of shows in some of her answers. But here, she's talking about, uh, she's answering Travis Fain's question about the modeling. Thank you. Thanks, Travis, for the question. And yes, this independent group of modelers um, has been working, again, uh, in coordination with us, but they have been working independently. My understanding is they're going to be um, uh, putting out another um, brief even as of today, possibly this afternoon or first thing tomorrow. Um, and again, just to reiterate where the governor was, uh, that, that modeling is not some of the information that we are using in terms of moving to reopening. It does help us for oh. planning purposes and I think has been helpful 
as we think about the kinds of things that our hospitals need to do in particular in, in thinking about our surge planning. Luckily, we haven't needed to use those plans, but I think it's been helpful for us to do um, the kinds of surge planning that our, um, our hospitals have been able to do. And, and now um, we are going to keep those plans activated so as we move through these phases, we can make sure that we have the medical capacity we need. Thank you. Mm, interesting. So now we don't use the modeling. So we used the modeling before, but now we don't use the modeling now. Okay, Brent Woodcox, a lawyer with the North Carolina Senate, Republicans, said uh, on Twitter, noting this shift, he said, then they're looking at actual data. Uh, This was their line. This was the governor's, the administration's line at the beginning was looking at actual data can't tell us what will happen. We have to use these models to protect us from what could happen. But now they say looking at models can't tell us what will happen. We have to use actual data to protect us from what could happen. Governor Cooper was then asked for his reaction to the reopen NC demonstration that was occurring yesterday in Raleigh. I understand that people are eager to ease these restrictions. I know it's frustrating uh, to be at home so much. I also know and have talked to many business owners and people who are out of work a lot of families are hanging by a thread and this is one of the reasons that we're pushing out unemployment payments and pushing out stimulus money trying to get money to small businesses because the thing we have to put first and foremost is the public health and safety of North Carolinians and we have to make sure that things are safe I'm very eager to move into our phases of reopening and we have an, a, a way to look at the indicators to tell us how fast that we're going to get there. And I hope that we move through these as quickly as possible. But we're going to rely on the science. We're going to rely on the data. And we're going to rely on the facts in order to make decisions about moving forward. And we're going to involve our business community in helping us make decisions about how we do that so that they can be the most effective while we can also be effective at keeping people safe. One thing, and maybe this is just me and I'm being pedantic, like hyper-focused on something that's trivial, but the governor often speaks in these terms of we're going to, we're going to do this, we're going to include the business community. And I assume, and maybe I'm wrong to assume this, but I assume what he's saying is that they actually are already doing these things. And when he says that we're going to, he's just talking about continuing to do these things. But um, what I have found in listening to the way people speak over the course of my life, people who say constantly that I'm going to try or I'm going to go do this, or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, they tend not to actually do the things, right? They, like, it seems to me people tend to either speak in terms of I'm doing this thing. Yeah, we're doing this. They speak in this active voice. I'm doing something. This, yeah, we're going to do something. Yeah, I'm going to try to do that later. Or yeah, fixing to get to it or whatever. It's this, it's a procrastination. And they don't actually do those things. I don't know if it's true because I don't know who these people are that he's talking to because they won't tell us. They won't tell us who's on the surge group. They won't tell us who's in the, uh, the business community that's advising him, although I suspect it's probably the big-time donors that uh, maybe don't even live in the state that have funded his campaigns and such. Um, but who knows? He says, though, at the very beginning of this clip, 
He says, the thing we have to put first and foremost is the public health and safety of North Carolinians. We have to make sure that things are safe. And the question I have, and granted this is a philosophical question, which is, is that a reasonable standard? Is it? The thing we have to put first and foremost is the public health and safety of North Carolinians. Okay. Is that a reasonable standard that we have to make sure that things are safe? Because if that's a standard, you obviously see the problem here, right? That it is really, really subjective, right? Really subjective. Unlike getting a house bought or sold. That's pretty objective. Did you get the house sold? Were you able to buy the house? Did you get the house you wanted, right? Those are objective metrics that you can actually uh, cite and say yes or no. And when it comes to buying or selling a home, use the only agent that I would use. That's Rowena Patton and her all-star powerhouse team. Uh, They get your house sold fast. They get it sold for more money. Even in these times, current events have impacted us all in very different ways. Uh, You may need to sell your home, but you're thinking you can't hold the open house. You can't have people walk through it. You don't want people walking through it. And people don't want to walk around in somebody else's home and pick up the COVID cooties. So Rowena Patton has offered walking tour videos of homes since 2007 on every listing, just like the real thing meaning buyers can tour your home without having to leave their home. You can start out with a video consult with Rowena. Give her a call at 333-4483. That's 333-4483 or mountainhomehunt.com and start packing. So when Cooper says that the uh, first and foremost thing we have to do is uh, keep things safe, keep North Carolinians safe, what are the trade-offs there? Because I've got a way, you know, if you want to wrap everybody in bubble wrap and stick them in a cell, um, right, that'll keep them from getting COVID, quarantine everybody separately, right? That'll keep everybody from uh, transmitting diseases and such, I suspect, but they'll die of something else. They'll catch something else. They'll Like, here's the thing. What other data is going into this metric, uh, 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 this matrix, I should say, uh, what, what other data are you putting in to make these determinations on risk and safety because it's not just a straight up COVID-19 infection, right? That's not the only metric in the matrix, right? Do you count, uh, you know, increased deaths among people who don't go to the doctor or the hospital? You know, are they factored into that equation? Deaths of despair, rising alcoholism, uh, violence, abuse, stuff like that. Is that factored into these equations? We don't know because the governor refuses to let us see behind the curtain, preferring instead to treat us like children. I've heard it said that he's, uh, was it both of his parents were teachers or he's raised by teachers and maybe that's why? Because teachers do, t- I don't know, this, I'm, not, this is, I'm not trying to be pejorative here. I'm not, I'm not trying to insult teachers. I'm just saying a lot of teachers tend to talk to people like they're children. If teachers are around kids all day, and it makes sense, like, you know, right, when you have the newborn and you have the babies and the kids and all you're around are the kids and you need to go talk to adults because, like, you're forgetting how to talk to adults. Well, if you're surrounded for years and years and years, you're surrounded by kids in a classroom setting, doesn't it make sense that, yeah, you're going to, like, talk to people like they're children, right? So maybe that's where this comes from. I'm not sure. I find it to be highly annoying, though. (laughs) I really do. I find it really annoying. Um, The other thing is, 
we don't get to look at this data. We don't know what's going on. And uh, this this standard that he's setting for us about, uh, 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 you know, keeping everybody safe, is that a reasonable standard or not? And we don't get to see all of the metrics. This is the scary part. Maybe they don't know. Maybe they're not even putting that data into their formula. Maybe it's not part of the equation at all. And nobody in the room that uh, is helping them craft these policies and this and charting the course and stuff, maybe they're not bringing it to light either. Or maybe they are, and the governor's just not telling us because he thinks we can't handle it because we're children, right? Listen here. This is Elizabeth Ann Brown from the Asheville Citizen Times. I am hoping to get some clarity about the uh, deaths that are reported uh, every day. Um, one of the requirements, since there have been some persistent rumors on social media that um, these are suspected deaths or not confirmed related to COVID-19, uh, what is required to, to add a death to that tally? And are you all considering adding um, the date the deaths occurred to the state tally? Thanks for that question, and I just want to triple confirm with our team to make sure I, I, I get this right, but those deaths are determined by our medical examiners. Uh, most of them are, are folks who had been found to be COVID-19 positive before their passing, um, but let us get back to you with the specifics of how our uh, our deaths are recorded and attributed to COVID-19 versus um, versus not. We've got that question a couple of times, and I, I don't want to get that wrong for you, so we'll, we'll follow back up. Thank you. How is it possible that the secretary of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services now, what are we, 10 weeks, nine weeks into the plague? How is it that the DHHS secretary does not know precisely how they are tallying deaths due to the pandemic? Right. You're doing daily news conferences about the plague here and that you're giving death counts and you don't know how the death count is determined? How does that how does that happen? I and it sounds like she has an idea because she says, uh, I want to triple check with the team. But you're the Secretary of Health and Human Services. How do you not know that? Why would you need to triple check? It should you should know this. You're giving this data to the state residents and you're using it to justify policy decisions. I'm not knocking whatever decision has been made. I'm not criticizing the people. I'm curious to know why uh, you don't know this data point, how this is determined, because it's a really big deal. Don't you think? I do. Also, this is a question she admits other people have been asking her. How do you not know? So if other people are asking this question, how have you not gotten an answer yet? Why have you not figured this out? (laughs) First off, just because of your job description. Second off, that people are asking about it. So when now you get another question at the press conference that's being live streamed, you still don't know the answer. How is that possible? Like This is willful ignorance at this point. You've got to work to not know that answer. How do you not know that? Oh, my gosh. What about the idea that some counties are wanting to open sooner? They are then asked this question because some counties do want to open sooner and they do not want to be under restrictive orders that seem more designed for urban areas, for example. We know that this virus does not respect county lines. There are people who live in one county 
work in another county, shop in yet another county. And By the way, I just want to point out, I'm, I'm fairly certain that all viruses do not respect county lines. It's one of the things, viruses, it's like their hallmark. They do not respect county lines, right? So if you're talking viruses, you're talking, well, except for the county line respecting virus, that one, that particular strain, but I think that one died out a long time ago. Well, because it, yeah, because it respected county lines and they just quarantined a county and it was over. So uh, yeah, most viruses, they don't respect county lines. And when that happens, the virus can spread from county to county. We know that there have been some hot spots, for lack of a better word, in our state, and some local governments have wanted to go further than the orders that I put in place on a statewide basis. But we're going to continue with having the state have a floor with some counties and local, some cities being able to have more restrictions than that. We'll still leave open the potential of looking at regional reopening if the data shows us that going forward. Right now, we're, we're not there yet. Uh, hopefully, by May 8th, we can begin going into phase one if the numbers tell us that we can, can do that. But we'll continue to look at the potential of regional phases and we've gotten some input on that from across the state so that's that was one of the developments one of the quote newsworthy items that came out of the press conference was that he apparently has been open to the idea of regional reopenings and um i guess also the inverse would be true of keeping certain regions not open quote unquote i know i'm using these terms loosely open reopen whatever open and closed um also, I thought it was interesting there that he uh, he let us know that there have been efforts made by various county leaders to try to get the state order to be more restrictive so as to uh, impose the restrictions on surrounding counties. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm just going to I'm going to assume Mecklenburg County was probably one of them, right? I'm going to assume that Mecklenburg County leaders and Charlotte City leaders probably went to state lawmakers of the Democratic persuasion and the governor and said, you need to make uh, these restrictions, these orders uh, more uh, tight, and they need to apply to our surrounding counties. For example, Gaston County, uh, like a week or so ago, Gaston County was like, we want out from under the state order. We want to reopen. And Mecklenburg was like, eh, no, you're right next door to us. And like half of your population works here. Um, and so they don't want everybody coming in from Gaston County and then like bringing COVID into Mecklenburg County or I guess bringing COVID back to Gaston. So that was interesting. I thought that you've got these, I'm assuming these larger counties, uh, and probably, you know, Wake, Buncombe, Forsyth, uh, Guilford, they were all probably like, yeah, we need to impose our tighter restrictions on our surrounding neighbors as well. Don't let them out of their houses either. Tell them to stay home. We don't want them coming into our cities. Um, so there's that. Also, I should point out that the town of Matthews, the town commissioners, they've drafted a letter to the county manager down in Mecklenburg. They're one of the quote, the six small towns, they call them, in Mecklenburg County. And um, they uh, said in this letter that they will start following the state's stay-at-home order instead of the county's more stringent order if county leaders do not loosen restrictions. 
This is what happens when you cannot justify uh, your orders to a free people. They will start doing their own thing. They're going to start saying, you know, okay, fine. You know, when when this broke out, nobody knew what was going on. And uh, we were willing to go along with this. You guys had models. There seemed to be some data and explanations and stuff. Uh, okay, yes, we'll comply. The longer it goes and the less you're able to justify it, the more likely you're going to see people start breaking away like this, right? Um, no, really, because like, yeah, because the town is, the town saying, this is all inside of the city of Charlotte. This isn't us. And we're dying here and we need tax revenue coming in. And uh, yeah, we, we, we need to get the economy open again, um, despite this plague. And uh, the county's order is just going to keep us all locked down. And we're the town of Matthews. Screw you. And by the way, there's always been that sort of a sentiment. Just the, historically, the town of Matthews, generally speaking, has an extended middle finger towards uh, the county. <laughs> it's just, they're one of, the, yeah, well, yes, for a number of reasons over the years, but it, yeah, Matthews, Pineville, Mint Hill, Huntersville, Davidson, Cornelius, all of the towns that aren't Charlotte, <laughs> they all tend to, uh, but Matthews specifically, Matthews tends to take a uh, more adversarial approach to county-city relations. <laughs> Uh, if you have an adversarial relationship with your website for your business, it doesn't have to be that way, okay? If you want to set up your business website or improve it, maybe you've noticed a lot of problems during the pandemic with your business website, um, and you want to fix it, and you want it to look good, it can be overwhelming. Where do you start? What do you do? How do you make this look like a website you want it to look like? Well, my friend Schaefer Smith at Schaefer Smith Design will help you with logos, graphics, does photos. Uh, search engine optimization. Uh, you can set up an online store for you. Website maintenance and security. This is a huge deal. You've got to keep your website updated for security protocols. Um, and he does this for professional services, uh, corporate uh, businesses, small businesses, entrepreneurs, all of it. Schaefer Smith Design. Make your site look professional and user-friendly for your customers and you. So you'll be able to adapt quickly, uh, whether you you know reopen today or reopen like in 2024 when Cooper would have us. SchaeferSmith.com. I'm just kidding. SchaeferSmith.com. That's the website. SchaeferSmith.com. The data in Gaston County According to the commissioner's chairman down there, Tracy Philbeck, told the Charlotte Observer that the data in Gaston County, the capacity uh, at the hospital and the information from a health department, he says, does not support the continued shutting down of businesses and churches. Quote, I cannot justify what the governor is doing to our citizens. Union County commissioners struck a similar note in a letter to the governor on Thursday. Every community is different, they said. Every business is different. Every family is different. The people of North Carolina will suffer needless health and economic harm if the state continues to treat its diverse population with a one-size-fits-all approach. A CBS News poll Thursday found that 70% of Americans believe it's more important to slow the spread of the coronavirus than to restart the economy quickly. And that may be true right now. And when you offer people this, uh, this I would say, false choice of uh, should we open it back up fast or should we um, uh, or should we just keep everything locked down? Well, those aren't the only options available. It's not 
it's not lockdown or you know return to pre-COVID-19. Those aren't the only options available. But um, I have no doubt when given that choice, 70% of Americans say, oh, yeah, yeah, let's stay locked down then because we can't go back to the way it was just immediately. Now, that sentiment will change. Governor Cooper talks about trends and such. This trend will change. If people go bankrupt, become destitute, cannot feed their families, right, getting evicted, these types of real-world implications start hitting people, and they already are, but the more this, the longer it goes, the more people get caught up in that, and um, the less likely they are to, say, keep uh, staying at home and sheltering in place. Lincoln County commissioners urged the governor to reopen the economy. They said that the restrictions are, quote, destroying the livelihood of our citizens, and it must come to an end. If Cooper had not extended the order past April 29th, Gaston County was poised to let people return to work the next day. But now we all have to follow the governor's order through May 8th. Philbeck said, quote, it's disheartening to see three counties, Mecklenburg, Wake and Guilford, be used as the model to shut down the whole state. When it is factually proven that counties could come uh, could open up today, keep people safe and put people to work at the same time. Philbeck, who is a Republican, said at some point people are going to say they've had enough and they're not going to obey these orders. And uh, he's exactly right. If you like this show and the content that we've been doing, please subscribe to the podcast. Give it a thumbs up in the reviews if you could. Maybe even consider writing a positive review. Positive review. Positive people. And uh, consider maybe becoming a patron of the program to get the coveted I'm a Giver sticker, plus access to exclusive content, merchandise, and events. Links are at thepetecalendarshow.com as well as in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for the support. Talk to you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone.